0: Find a
1: location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
1: I've been chasing Moses around the house all day, so... (laughs) You know, in general, it's it's like, don't have kids. (laughs) <laughs> <Wait for it. laughs> your face is red like strawberry <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, good God. All right. hello so fpl returns this week yay so with that in mind we're back with our concluding pre-season podcast as we enter the final stretch of this torrid period it's been seven long weeks since the game reopened and the bit has not been so much champed at but chewed away into dust as thinker town's doors open for business with gusto with me is the into my yang and nick you're
1: yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. got the laces out for this one, the final pod before the season begins. I'm ready for all the action to begin and the inevitable game week one blank. Everything's just going to be kicking off in just five days' time and we're already going to be cursing a Liverpool lost clean sheet, a Salah Blank and a Matip goal. Oh wait, that happened today, didn't it? Just to say who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online, who whogottheassist.com, on Twitter, at WGTL. listen and subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud, whatever pod service you use. Hello to regular listeners and hello to new listeners too for the newbies if you're interested in uh, in learning more about us. We did a podcast telling um, the listeners all about us and how we came to form the pod just a few weeks ago. Uh, we've also done an unwritten rules pod over the summer with Neil Murray and also about two and a half hours of team previews to get through as well. So uh, plenty of listening for new listeners.
0: Yeah, certainly. And there's also written content like Talisman, Value, Prospecting the Prospects, finally had a look at Nick as Pepe the other day, plus a pilot of psychology like my over-management bit, which is worth finding if you can. Anyway, it's our final pre-season pod, Nick, and we've probably analysed everything, like literally everything. I'm not sure there's anything we didn't analyse. But this week we're going to actually start a little bit differently and take a walk down memory lane, uh, reviewing what happened on opening day game weeks over the past five seasons or so to gauge what kinds of players tend to break the deadlock and what we can remember from those past glories or failures also we've got a couple of transfer updates to talk through and Pepe Gabamin and Moisy Ken plus some Charity Shield hot takes and additionally as it's Sunday the time of recording and lots are going to change with these but we'll be giving you a reveal of our teams as they stand and the reasoning behind our respective setups Right, let's get going, Nick, and let's start with uh, game week one in the past. So, have been sat here before. This is the first season we've sat here talking about it to an audience, but we, we've both been sat here before, haven't we? You know, WhatsApping and sending each other teams as we get into the kind of early August uh, in the anticipation for game week one. This week, it, w- it was really interesting, wasn't it, to look at those past five game week ones and uh, really remember where we were. Like, the nostalgia factor was amazing, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I was looking at some uh, of my sort of old school teams. I've got the teams from sort of 17, 18, and, and- sixteen, seventeen 17, as well, and, and looking at what I did uh, those years, how it worked out for me, and uh, if I can learn anything, if it's possible to learn anything as well in advance of um, this game week one. We're also looking at sort of the Teams dating back to 2014, who did well in those Game Week 1s. I'm sure we've all got horrible memories, really. I think Game Week 1 seems to be one of those weeks where it just kind of goes to crap, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Off. You spend <laughs> seven weeks just experimenting with formations and then it's just, you see like Eric Dyer goals and Nathan Redmond goals and you think, why did I even bother? Yeah, it's always that one, isn't it? About kind of 20 drafts back, which tends to
0: smash it. Uh, but anyway, we've looked at this uh, through an analytical lens. Obviously, it's, it's a little bit of an indicative one rather than a substantial one, because there's only five games we used to look at. But we've looked through it and we've coded up the own goals, defenders, midfielders and strikers in terms of goal scorers, and had a look at the percentages throughout the year. And we've also looked at the sort of player who's scoring these sorts of goals, too. And hopefully at the end, you might hear something that may help you with your final game at one selections. So we've, we've got our team data, don't we, since 2016, Nick. But to delve back even deeper into the past, and I think we're going to be trying to remember who we had. 2014, uh, just to start there. This was the year where uh, we all benched Siggy, um, I seem to remember, against Manchester United uh, away. And Swansea actually won that game. Goals from Siggy and Kee Young. yong did it for Swansea. And that year, uh, 42% of uh, goals were scored by midfielders and 38% by strikers. Uh, 26 goals were scored. This is like fairly vintage FPL. This is when uh, Chris Wood was at Leicester. This is when Sado Berahino uh, scored a nick And it's also Sebastian Larson and Aidan McGeady scoring for Sunderland and, and Everton. So we're really back in the hinterlands, aren't we there? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but there were there were a few players. I think this was the season Liverpool did uh, fantastically well and uh, Sturridge scored, for instance, Aguero and uh, Diego Costa and also um David Silva and, and Sterling also scored. So a few of the sort of the more premium picks also did well. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, but a lot of us if we had Manchester United and back, back then we we considered Manchester United to be a good team. We were quite heavily punished by that two one loss, weren't we? There were a lot of us who had Siggy first bench, which is unheard of now, but I think back then that was the sort of
0: thing that people would have done. Uh, people would have done that. But, but it just goes to show you, really, if the likes of kind of Ivanovic were one of the goal scorers that day. Uh, moving forward to 2015, uh, this was the year that Leicester really arrived. Riyad Mahrez scored a brace, and that uh, Jamie Vardy scored as well in a 4 2 win against Sunderland. And I think Mahrez was 5.5 million then. He scored a brace that day, uh, as did Yair Torre. Elsewhere, uh, West Ham defeated Arsenal uh, 2 0 away. I remember that um, Ree Sox had an amazing game as Koyoate and (laughs) Zarate scored the two goals (laughs) there. Yet another game week one where uh, midfielders, uh, noticing a theme here, uh, scored the most goals. They scored 14 goals compared to 11 for forwards, 3 for defenders and 2 own goals. Out of 30 goals, that's 47% of the goals scored by midfielders.
1: Yeah, I think uh, 15-16, that was a particularly bad year for me. Um, I think that was the year that I sort of began really my love-hate relationship with Eden Hazard. I remember holding on to him for for far too long. I had him in game week one and he subsequently did nothing for quite a while. You were saying, just get rid of the guy, just get rid of the guy. I was like, no, he's got a good fixture, one more fixture, trying to hold him. And uh, yeah, things went badly for me. And I I didn't get on the likes of Savard or Mahrez um, early enough either that season into what was sort of Leicester's canter towards Premier League glory.
0: I think I got on Mahrez a little bit earlier. I think I got him in with the two free transfers in game week three. This was before WGTA, wasn't it? So it was back when we were actually good. No, I didn't, uh, <laughs> yeah, You yeah. were good. Uh, this is the year we were both on well, actually, wasn't it? Um, but, you know, the likes of Rudy Gustedt, the likes of Stephen Fletcher scoring on that first game week, it really goes to show you. Again, Again, we were quite far back. Miguel Layun, do you remember him? But yeah, elsewhere, the, the likes of Wolf Zaha, Ross Barkley, actually. Um, Ross Barkley scored that first game week. And Shane Long as well on the score sheet that day. But yeah, another midfielder kind of year. And 2016, Nick, where we actually have our records of who we actually started that game week. This is a, a year where that swing towards midfielder scoring amplifiers, doesn't it? Uh, 16 goals for midfielders that year.
1: Yeah, 16-17. Yeah, as you said, um, a lot of midfielders scored that year. It was the likes of uh, Snodgrass, Shaqiri, Redmond, Lamella, Barkley um, matter and uh, Coutinho got a brace as well as uh, Mane Lallana and Walcott and Hazard all scored as well so loads of guys scored Leroy Furr scored as well I think it was particularly cheap and a lot of people were patting themselves on the back for backing fur right at the beginning of the season and then more people brought him in and then he subsequently did nothing for the rest of the season didn't he?
0: Yeah I definitely uh, remember that one uh, it, it was uh, yeah Leroy Furr god imagine that he was on our FPL radar <laughs> Lord. Uh, this is also the year if you remember there was a balmy 4-3 win for Liverpool. Arsenal at that day so as Nick mentioned Coutinho scored a brace and the likes of Walcott and Oxlade Chamberlain scored for Arsenal so yeah what way back when and this is the year as Latan arrived on the scene as well scoring the third goal in 3 one win against Bournemouth mm-hmm. let's have a look at our game week one squads that year Nick and it's interesting isn't it look, looking at the relic that is this the distribution is towards the front line of Kun Aguero is captain Jamie Vardy sitting next to him Andre Gray Um, When he was at Burnley, I had Ericsson, Hazard and Firmino uh, in the midfield as well. So quite an interesting start. I only got 55 in the end, but yeah, it was only 44 average. So it wasn't a very big scoring uh, game we won that year.
1: I got 51, which was above the average, but not a particularly good score, all things considered. It was my strikers that actually sort of bailed me out of jail. I had this sort of the Aguero captain who got me nine times two and uh, Ibrahimović as well. I backed him and you didn't, if I remember rightly, and he got me nine points. I think I had Mares got me some points, but I also had the likes of Andre Gray uh, before he, he sent a very unfortunate tweet, which meant I had to transfer him out <laughs> and also had... Um, the likes of Iwobi for some reason doing nothing for me, and, uh, and Morgan Stone's Luke Shaw backline, they're all blanked.
0: Yeah, no, I had something very similar. I had uh, Morgan, Stones and Shaw as the back three. And on the bench, I had Fernandez and uh, the legend, the 4.0 legend, Jordi Amat, who both uh, got a clean sheet on game week one. Heaton was in goal as well. So yeah, that guy's been around for quite a while. This was uh, 2016, three years ago now. So these players really just, just do keep coming back for more, don't they, really? Uh, yeah, I guess when nature calls and it's the start of the season, they're there. And uh, 2017, uh, two, a couple of years ago, this, this is a bit of a strange one because it's midfielders who have tended to score the match. But this year, it was Strikers who scored the most. 52% of the 31 goals were scored by Strikers that day. Uh, so Lukaku, who was my captain then, it was his opening game for Manchester United against uh, West Ham. I remember you captained Harry Kane away at Newcastle. That yeah. was the very start of WGTA, wasn't it? It was probably the only time the FPL community have ever asked the following question. Why didn't we think about Steve Mounier? <laughs> yeah, this is the year that Burnley beat Chelsea, 3-2 away. Higatsy Mania began. He scored the only goal as West on one, predictably one nil. Oh God, do you remember that?
1: Yeah, I do. And I just remember all the teams with Fagazzi and 4.5 million West Brom defender getting 15 points. And he wasn't on a radar at all, really, during this sort of pre-season. We'd we'd analysed him and saw that he'd never scored for his um, club that he played for in Egypt. So we're like, yeah, they were not getting this guy. And then, of course, he scores on the opening week. And we're just like, oh, for God's sake. And yeah, the mania began, as you said. It was like, he's a unit. He's going to do this all the time. But yeah, Mounier scored a brace. And everyone rushed to get him in as well. Vokes got a brace as well. Volkswagen began. And then the Vardy also got a brace. So yeah, and Lukaku, as you said, so lots of strikers um, scoring big that particular game week. Uh, that season, I went for 4 three, three, which is slightly different than the previous season where I'd gone for 3 4 three. So I, I went for the four at the back for the first time. But yeah, Davis got me 14 points for Spurs against Newcastle, he scored as well. So that was uh, the start of the, uh, the Davies bandwagon, the Shrine, because um, he'd done really well for me the previous season at the end as well. The um, likes of Dale Stevens also got me six. But um, the main man that appeared on the scene for me and really benefited from me overall that season was Mosado, who picked up 11 points in game week one. And I was a starter for a beautiful, blossoming relationship with FPL managers, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, it was amazing,
0: really, to think that he was 9.0. And like Nicolas Pepe's coming at 9.5. Uh, incredible uh, comparison there if you really think about it I mean that game week one I did the right actually I got 72 but again you can see the strength in the forward line so two premiums as it were and Lukaku and Kane are supplemented by backstabby Adini Gabby Adini. What the hell I was doing with him in my team, I'll never know. This was the year when I tipped Ryan Fraser to do very, very well from Game Week 1, if you remember, Nick, and he, uh, he scored two points, weren't too happy with the returns there. Turns out I was a year ahead of my time, I suppose. That Salah chap got 11, and do you remember this was the year as well where Kevin De Bruyne, we all had him in as our City cover, and he was playing in kind of a quarterback sort of role in the first kind of three games. We all shipped him out, and then in Game Week 4, he got two assists.
1: Yeah, I do remember that. I think it was in game week three, I was watching a game live and it's just one of the most frustrating matches I've ever watched of a Premier League match because Kevin De Bruyne just spent the entire time literally just playing right in front of the defenders, just passing it back, not getting forward. I was thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? He's meant to be my attacking Manchester City asset and he was just not getting forward at all and it was just seemed to be a bit of an odd game, a bit of a blip perhaps that's always the fear with KDB isn't it he's playing the um, the defensive role so yeah I, I got not as high as you did 58 but yeah the 4 um worked out for me quite well with um Lukaku getting me 13 points but yeah the cane blank didn't help and neither did the uh, J-Rod's one pointer that I got as well
0: oh J-Rod another one who's come back to the Premier League it's, it's amazing isn't it how these players come around so on to last season then and yeah the pendulum swung completely the other way so in 2018 as mentioned 52% of the goals were scored by strikers in 2018 64% of the goals were scored by midfielders uh, 16 goals uh, Richarlison got a brace Mane got an opening day brace Pereira got an opening day brace and only 6 strikers scored the likes of Hoslu, uh, Sturridge and uh, yeah Wilson and Jimmy I suppose An opening Richarlison banger he became the first bandwagon he scored again the next week and then got sent off the week after as Nick has mentioned to his chagrin a couple of times and Liverpool won 4-0 and Salah scored very early, didn't he? Assisted by Robertson.
1: Yeah, it was a big win for Liverpool and uh, also Manchester City did pretty well for me. So um, this season I went for the four four two, so another different formation for me, but sticking with four at the back and the defenders really paid off for me in the end actually because I got Mendy got me 15 points from his double assist, PVA um, got me 11 points and Robertson got me 11 points, but Babies let me down a little bit with just a two-pointer. My captain Salah was a bit more par for the course that year with an eight times two, but it was the likes of Mahrez, um, Gilfried Sigurdsson and-, and Diego Yotta that kind of let me down a little bit in terms of the start of last season. And Mares, also Manchester City's big money signing, was seemingly dropped straight away and-, and barely played at all last season. So he had to go quite quickly for me as well last
0: season was the first season where I'd taken a few too many punts, I think, on newly promoted players. like I had a Jota like you over Rashadison. I also started Tom Kearney over um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, which uh, in retrospect looks ridiculous, but um, at the time probably made sense to some extent, I don't know. Uh, Captain, as you mentioned, Salah. I, I backed Aubameyang over Kun Aguero, which was going to lead me into peril in Game Week 2. The two points I got last year as well, which again is a mediocre start. But having gone down memory lane, let's have a look at some the information that we've gleaned then. Uh, so by position, here's the number of goals scored. 140 goals have been scored on Game Week 1 over the last five years. That's five own goals, 19 goals by defenders, 65 by midfielders, and 51 by strikers. That means that midfielders have scored 46% of the goals on Game Week 1 in the last five years, versus percent 6% scored by strikers. So midfielders have scored the most goals on most Game Week 1s then, in our little sample set. It's only in 2017 when 16 goals were scored by strikers that was changed and last year, as mentioned, 64% of the opening day goals were scored by midfielders, Nick. So obviously, it's a very small sample set. And obviously, there's less strikers in the game than midfielders, which can bias the data. But having looked at this uh, through a knowingly subjective lens, what can we glean
1: from this, Nick? So when we looked at the numbers, we identified that 54 of the goals were scored by attack-minded midfielders, and that's sort of excluding the likes of, sort of Giorgino and, and Kante and Etienne Capoue. 39% of all goals were scored by these guys. Which is the highest proportion. Pretty interesting stuff, really. Looks like sort of midfielders, attacking midfielders tend to do well in um, the first game week. But then we also saw in, in 2017, you know, all those strikers doing particularly well. So it'd be, it'd be very interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think that, um, like, to round off this section, Nick, the reason behind this is just that on game week one, it's feasible to say that teams set up not to lose. You don't want to start your season on, on the back foot effectively. So it could be said on game week one that, if teams are set up not to lose and are set up kind of in a cagey fashion, that those kind of flair, attack-minded midfield players are the kind of players who we should be looking at. And if anyone's considering 3-5-2, even though this data is obviously based on a very, very small sample size, there is a little bit of confirmation bias for you there. But yeah, I thought that was interesting and maybe a different thing to do ahead of game week one. Right, right, we'll take a break then, Nick, and we'll move on to the, uh, the new players uh, into the Premier
1: League. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and um, we've got a question from FPL Chancellor Dan, um, he's asked us, do you think the early transfer window has been a help or hindrance to managers? The timing of uh, Peppy and Ken etc coming in feels really awkward and could prompt Game Week 2 or Game Week 3 wildcards when we don't actually want to use them that early. So um, so what do you, what do you think about that then Tom?
0: I mean, this is a nice little segue, isn't it, into the players who have come in, because the ones who have come in over the last week or so are probably the players who are going to be bedded into the squad, haven't done the full pre-season. And as Dan said, could, by game week two or three, really start shining? Um, I think I'm going to wait until the international break, uh, game week four and five, to be seriously considering them, unless one of them does like a Salah and scores very, very well on the opening day. Probably the same for you, right, Nick?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I said on um, the team preview pods that I, I'm trying to avoid the new signings as much as possible. I've learned sort of lessons from the previous few seasons where I have punted on um, new signings, like of uh, Mares and Yotta um, from you know, last year, and even the um, we didn't go far this far back in time. But do you remember when I had that Memphis Depay punt in game week one when he was playing for Manchester United as yeah. well? And uh, you know that that really didn't work out for me either. So I think. I think this year I'm just going to be, um, you know, focusing on those established Premier League players, comfortable and played at their teams for a long time. And, you know, you can be trusted to perform at the highest level. Um, Obviously, these these signings are like uh, Nicolas Pepe, very exciting players. So on the contrast, you know, I backed Salah when he first went to Liverpool and he did very well for me. So it can pay off going for a new signing in game week one. But Nice um, and Pepe hasn't had a proper pre- pre-season, so we don't even know if he's necessarily going to be straight into the team or not. He didn't play the friendly. So, uh, yeah, I think for me, it would definitely be a case of don't take a gamble, don't take a punt on these players. And it, it might lead to early wild cards or it might just be that you can use some of your free transfers to get these players in. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of a Game Week 2, Game Week 3 wild card. And unless you've made a complete hash up your sort of your first team, you can normally roll your first transfer, then have a little bit of a mini wild card and use free transfers, perhaps on a minus four. And that tends to fix any gaping holes that you might have in your immediate setup. Yeah, certainly. I'd agree with you, actually,
0: that you'd probably be aiming to use your mini wildcard around uh, Game Week 3, as you said. Last year, I actually did wildcard in Game Week 3 because of Kun hat-trick and the need to probably fit him in. I can see why uh, people are beginning to get a bit worried. But to look at some of these signings and talk about their impacts on FPL quickly. Uh, Nicolas Pepe, 22 goals, 11 assists, and we worked out on the prospects and the prospects that would be 272 points for him. The main message with him is how we adjust to not being the main man, effectively. Like the data is great. It's reminiscent, actually, strangely of Sanchez in his prime. Uh, so the ratio of shots in the box, for instance, of the 122 shots Sanchez took back then in 2016-17, 78 were in the box, uh, 64%. Not far off, Pepe 60%. And Sanchez created 78 chances for teammates that year. Pepe created 70. Uh, obviously, it's high roller numbers, like 264 points Sanchez scored that year. And though the PCP was very generous, I suspect Pepe's going to score a bit lower, there'll be a bit of an adjustment period. But, you know, stuff like he's got similar expected goals to Raz, and he also won six of the nine penalties he converted. It kind of feels like a bit of a Zaha Deluxe. I'm very glad as an Arsenal fan that we've got him, but he won't be on penalties, almost definitely. So that's nine goals already taken away. And he's, he won't be the anointed talisman, So I suspect Yang and his beta Lacazette and going going for it. So I think Pepe at 9.5, it's an interesting price. I think it's a, it's a bit strange that he was priced at that Pulisic. Price 7.5 and Salah came in at 9. I mean what do you think about Pepe Nick?
1: And if Pepe had been part of the Arsenal setup from the start of the summer he'd certainly be in contention especially if he'd um, played well in the pre-season um, as a player for our FPL teams in terms of covering Arsenal because he's a midfielder so he does get those extra points which gives him a little bit of an advantage over the likes of Laka and Aubameyang and uh, you know you said Arsenal's fixtures are, are pretty tough but their first two are actually reasonable. They've got Newcastle away and, and Burnley at home so you could have essentially gone with an Arsenal player for those first two fixtures, potentially, before it's Liverpool and Spurs, before that, you know, amazing run of fixtures. Comes in for Arsenal, where um, they only play Manchester United out of the uh, top six sides between game week five and game week 16, when um, definitely be considering Pepe. You know, the signs are positive and I think it's 9.5. He, he definitely looked quite good value, I think, um, for what he offers.
0: Yeah, certainly. We'll have to just wait and see with him. But he could be an absolute star given the stats. Moving on then, Gabamin, um, who joined from Mainzer. He looks like he's addressed a gay's uh, replacement. Um obviously not an FPL prospect He won sixty four percent of his tackles in Germany, and he definitely does look a bit like a prospect rather than a finished article. Um, in contrast, Gay won a massive seventy-nine percent of his tackles last year. And he also had to do it on sixty more occasions as well. So volume and success on Gay's side, which probably shows difference in players. Nonetheless, um, I think that that probably has eliminated doubt about Luca Dean and um, I suspect that we're probably okay with, uh, with Luca Dean being in our teams now they acted very swiftly
1: didn't they yeah yeah definitely I mean Gabamin has been playing for Mains for three years now he, he comes highly rated and highly recommended that's why Everton have scouted him out and uh, seeing him as the ideal replacement for adrissa Gay I think obviously um, for Everton yeah, Gay looked like a, a massive loss for them they've kept him a number of clean sheets at the end of last season as we know but um, that was thanks to uh, sort of Gay's defensive midfield mindset as well as um, Kurt Zuma as well who's, who's still not been freed despite um, you know Everton fans shouting on Twitter to free Zuma, It's not quite happened yet. So that might impact Dean but I think um, Gabamian goes in a long way um, to uh, replace Gay as long as he adapts to the Premier League's pace. Uh, moving on, there's um, kane and he's the other new signing for Everton. He's another young player that's come really highly rated Signed from Juventus, is only 19 years old, and yeah, last season he he did pretty well for them. But he was more of kind of a substitute pick. Didn't play too much in the end in the league, mostly coming off the bench. But managed uh, sort of 13 appearances, nine off the bench in total, and six goals from that, which was, which pretty decent returns. But uh, yeah, um, I think that's a fantastic signing for Everton. Perhaps maybe more one for the future than one for right now. He's not on the game yet, so we don't quite know his price. But I don't think we'll be rushing to get him in. Those with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, obviously he was one of the sort of 6 million picks out there. A lot of people were eyeing up thinking, oh, you know, you could cover the Everton attack with a 6 million pound forward. But with uh, Moise Ken joining the side, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's place in the uh, starting 11 definitely now seems in doubt
0: yeah certainly he's a, he's a highly regarded in Italy a bit of a hot young thing according to a cursory sweep of Twitter uh, so we'll have to see what happens I wouldn't put it past them to, to price him at the same price as Siggy or a Charleston but I think kind of 7.5 is going to be where it's going to end up I'm sure he'll probably start more than DCL will unfortunately for DCL um, the next one's McBurney we mentioned that Sheffield's nice on the MTW uh, 22 goals in the championship and he said quote I came to Swansea boy and left the man all that seems to do Nick is an already very very uh, congestive front line there doesn't it with the other strikers around
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I, mean, I remember McBurnie as sort of a, a £4.5 million option back when he was at Swansea in the Premier League, but he certainly won't be £4.5 million now after that fantastic season. Um, in the Championship, in terms of goal returns, uh, but yeah, it does, definitely does complicate um, things. They've already broken a transfer window this summer when they signed this uh, Mousset, and they've doubled it again and broken it again. They'd sign yet another forwards, so and now they've essentially got four on their books, Likely that two will start, and I imagine McBurnie's probably going to be one of them, considering the price tag and his goal returns last season. You know, he's another upcoming young player, as we like to say. So I think he'll definitely be one of them, but how he fits in with the likes of Sharp, McGoldrick, who we've been in the club a lot longer, and the other new signing, set will be interesting to see. Yeah, certainly. Don't forget Callum Robinson as well, 5.5 million uh,
0: out of position uh, midfielder who's uh, playing up front as well, according to Wilder. There's a couple of other players who have signed. Uh, uh, Adam Webster, uh, signed from Bristol City. So I turned pet detective and uh, asked a friend, uh, so it's FPL Nashville, our friend Andy Nash, who's a Bristol City fan, said that he's a player of the year scored three goals in 44 games in the defence last year that kept 14 clean sheets four fewest goals to in the championship with 53, uh, which only bodes well um, for that Brighton team. It sounds like it's going to be a 3-4-3 because uh, it sounds like uh, Dunk is going to sit alongside uh, Duffy and Webster rather than Dunk leaving to replace uh, Maguire at, uh, at Leicester. And you said that you'd seen an article, hadn't you, or an interview with Potter saying that uh, Dunk wasn't going to be Magic's way.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was watching Sky Sports News and um, they were interviewing Potter and, and he was very firm on the fact that Dunk was going nowhere. He was, he was very, you know, almost cursed the uh, the reporter for even suggesting that Dunk was going to be going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a, a back free of Dunk, um, Duffy and Webster, which is going to be a very strong defensive line that he seems to be setting up at Bryson. So it uh, could be good for those Matt Ryan owners, perhaps, if they've got a strong back three. It doesn't look like Balagun's going to be... Um, Part of that back three, as it looks like Web- a Webster Dunk Duffy lineup, and uh, Dunk's not going to be going to Leicester. But who is? Because obviously they're going to be signing someone to replace Harry
0: Maguire. There's a picture of Maguire at Carrington today, so it looks like that one's been done. Obviously, we know he brings the ball out of defence, he offers good bonus potential. Harry Maguire also offers a bit of goal threat as well, which can be interesting, um, if he can get um, the deliveries from the United midfield. Um, uh, so in 2016-17, he was actually second uh, for shots in the box, uh, one behind uh, a certain Marcos Alonso nick. Uh, which is quite interesting, he was also second for he was also third for attempts uh, overall, Chris Brontz, four more attempts than he did um, and in 2017-18 when he was at Leicester he, he also did, didn't do too badly in terms of attempts as well and so that year he was fourth for shots in the box uh, just behind uh, your man Moses. So he definitely has in his locker to, to provide attacking and defensive points as well as bonus points. And, uh, I think that would be a good signing for United. And a quick note here that Aaron Wan-Bissaka's uh, ownership numbers is getting very, very scary indeed. It's above 35% now, I believe. Remembering a couple of years ago, Nick, when you know, the likes of Phil Jones um, absolutely destroyed ranks after 60 minutes Manchester United, is that something you're worried about with the um, Maguire going there? I'm sure there's going to be lots of ownership coming in. Like, is that something that you're thinking about in terms of your team, like playing the numbers?
1: I don't think I'm going to be going for a Manchester United defender just this moment in time. I think they're definitely worth considering. Perhaps if I was going for a Manchester United cover, I might even look at the goalkeeper, De Gea, and just have him a sort of a set and forget 5.5 million. But I'm not... Overly concerned about the Wan Bissaka numbers. Will be interesting actually if Manchester United do keep them some early clean sheets. If we'll see any of those much fabled teams with five Manchester United defenders in them—the De Shaw, Lindelof, Maguire, and Wan Bissaka setup—which would have been possible if you set your team up in that way on the opening week. I know Andy and Let's Talk FPL was looking to do some form of setup for a little while, but he made the mistake of putting Chris Smalling in the team. Rather than De Gea, thirty-five point eight percent does seem uh, pretty ridiculous. I think it's a combination of um, positive memories of the four point zero million Wan and the um, excitement of Manchester United fans to to get their man, and um, you know a lot of high percentage of FPL um, players are actually Manchester United fans, which always tends to inflate their ownership levels a little bit. The only other one to mention
0: is a Tommy Heaton, uh, signed for Aston Villa. He's got an 150-point season in him, as we know. And there's also that kind of bad defence versus a good goalkeeper sort of thing going on. Started against Spurs and they've got Bournemouth. So he's likely to face a lot of shots in the first couple of game weeks, but there could be saves, saves, saves there, couldn't there? A 4.5, like he's definitely on the radar now as a set-and-forget option. Um, but as is Nick Pope, I guess, who I'm probably leaning towards right now.
1: Yeah, I think Heaton definitely has to be considered. He's um, obviously signed for Aston Villa, so he's going to be there nailed on. Um, goalkeeper, I think it, out of, sort of the 4.5 million goalkeepers out there, he's certainly high up there. Whether you trust the Aston Villa defence is another question. Um, their fixture run actually is pretty decent. Sort of in the first um, nine game weeks, they only play Spurs and Arsenal in terms of, sort of the top sides before it gets a little bit tougher. For them, but yeah, I think Heaton um, Heaton Affidar uh, definitely another option in terms of the goalkeeper. Sort of, you know, the Pope seems to be the, the sort of mainstream cheap goalkeeper choice online. But yeah, I think Heaton definitely is an option, as is Dean Henderson, who I've currently got um who Sheffield United have secured on loan this season.
0: I, th- I think both of them are fairly okay options, to be honest. The only reason I'm not going with Dean Henderson is because I've got a double Bournemouth, which uh, sounds a bit silly as a reason, but I also prefer Nick Pope as someone from the established uh, Premier League team. All right, speaking of which, uh, let's go on to the team reveals, Nick. Let's take a break there and we'll dive into it just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's time to reveal uh, what our thinking is behind our teams. And at the moment, actually, Nick, I've got no idea whatsoever what you're thinking. Uh, your team's a bit like a kidnapped dolphin. I just can't find it. I can't see it anywhere. Now, are you, you're in a four-four-two, right? Have you succumbed to a 5 or something like that? Or are you still kind of big at the back, but in the same way that you always were?
1: So, so, I guess i've been living in a little bit of a tribal village in terms of the big review i haven 't said anything major online i 've just given hints of who 's in my team what 's happening but um actually I'm, I was surprised Tom because when I was um doing that analysis of previous seasons, I realized that this is actually my fourth different formation that I'm starting with in in the last four seasons so uh, 16 17 I was 343 three. then I became 433 three. then I became 442 and I'm progressively getting more and more defensive it seems each year because this year I've I've gone for the um, the 451 actually so um, yeah that's what I'm going for at the moment and uh, we'll have to see how it gets on for me what about yourself then what kind of formation are you looking at have you been listening to the big at the back or are you going for the sort of 343 three, the classic the old school um, (laughs) attack
0: yeah, I've gone back to Kun, Kaka and Kane. No, I haven't, no. So I've been trying to stay off, Nick, and as you said to me uh, when we met up uh, not very long ago, you've been very good, Tom. You've been very good at uh, keeping away from it. Uh, but now I've really gotten into it. I'm really thinking about the Finkel or Ironhorns. I'm really kind of uh, entering Tinkertown, so to speak, here. What I've been finding with all that tinkering is that I've got a lot of issue with the 11th man in all the teams that I've made. So I've had a very strong core turn every time. but I've had the likes of set sitting in the team Oof. with the likes of a lewis dunk sitting in the team and um what i've done at the moment Nick, actually is i've i've hit on a formation that i actually quite like so i'm going to sit on it and see what happens now but it's basically like a 4-4-2 slash five-four-one, so it's a bit of a swiss army knife of oh, the team wow. i can see your eyes rolling into the back of your head and um, but basically that 11th man instead of being a mousset or something like that it's a Carl Walker-Peters and Lacadia 5.0 and 5.5 for rotating Uh, I can see that you're not too sure Um, but basically it's a very solid two-week plan with the capacity to go anywhere because both those players are total punts and uh, they're perfectly priced to be so uh, 5.5 and 5.0 bearing in mind that only one of them is going to play every week KWP can get three assists per game and Lacadia literally offers nothing except the fact that he's uh, started a lot of pre-season I don't really know how well he's done I don't really care uh, perhaps answers whether I think preseason is worth it or not Watford, West Ham and South that the start for Brighton, is looking okay. And Lacadia is looking the cheapest starting striker, so why not? Unfortunately, yeah, Mo Pay looks like he's signing from Brentford, so that knocks out Murray. Yeah, we forgot about him earlier on. But yeah, that's kind of how I'm set up at the moment. Let's talk about goalkeepers then, Nick. Uh, where have you gone uh, in terms of how you've started? Have you gone for the, the big keeper? Have you gone for Kepa?
1: So a lot of my sort of early drafts actually had the uh, sort of premium goalkeeper in them, and I was I was going for Edison, as sort of like the uh, six million man at the back. But inevitably, what happens is you, you you want to spend more and more in your midfield, in your attack, and you in defence, and you just start to downgrade the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper goes low and low until you start the season with Rob Elliott which I did a few years back. <laughs> but I've actually, as I, said, I think I said earlier on the pod, I've got Dean Henderson in there, Denderson. Um, or Denders, as we might refer to him, much to um, many of our listeners' annoyance, I'm sure, had the 4.5 million goalkeeper signed from uh, well on loan from Manchester United. And uh, yeah, I've said before, Sheffield United—they were actually the uh, most defensively solid of all the um, promoted teams last season. And I've just got a you know, decent feeling about him. I think you know he could potentially do an average from your sort of value analysis. Average was sort of like the second most um, value best value keeper in the Premier League last season thanks to some of his penalty saves as well as clean sheets but I feel like that um, Henson might be able to follow up in his footsteps and we always see good value in the goalkeepers so why not go cheap, get plenty of saves as well because Sheffield United aren't going to be um, a particularly uh, strong team defensively so plenty of save points and uh, a plenty of money as, as well to, to spend elsewhere.
0: Yeah, it certainly makes sense. I think he was, it was 45%, wasn't it? 21 clean sheets last season that he got for Sheffield United and they conceded the lowest goals of any team other than Middlesbrough. Um, so I think that that means that you'd be looking at a lot of kind of one nils at Fortress Bramwell Lane, lots of saves for Denders. That, that, that definitely makes sense. In terms of me, I'm I'm, I'm doing the same. I'm looking for the new effort and that's Pope for me, I think, as you've got an established Premier League team there. Obviously conceded 30 more goals last season than the season before, but I think that that is kind of pretty much down to UEL and players are starting earlier on but I think they will be back to BAU business as usual this year I think Pope um, who's got 150 points season, him is going to be quite a decent starter side point as well but when I looked at his fixtures I thought oh righty then that's really good Uh, because actually his first three fixtures he doesn't play any of the players that I own apart from Dendonka that obviously shouldn't be a reason why you choose a player um, but it's a plus for him at least so it sounds like we're both going for the four point five kind of quasi set and forget keeper. We're both on Button or something, aren't we? Four point zero, yeah.
1: Yeah, Button's my uh, my second choice. Interestingly, Tom Button is actually the uh, second highest owned goalkeeper in the game this season with twenty five percent of ownership.
0: Oh my! I'm not surprised by that. It looks like a lot of people are doing the uh, set and forget. I think it's Allison, isn't it? Who's the highest owned goalkeeper at the moment? I don't know if that's going to continue after today. Anyway, in defence the start with of the players you played today um, I've got the Ukrainian Roberto Carlos so I've still got Zinchenko in my team it's between him and John Stones but I'm worried about John Stones like giving me a heart attack basically if he's trying to play Tiki Taka in his own six yard box like he just just doesn't look the sort of player who's who's got the confidence to do that at the moment after what happened with England. Um, I guess having Edison there is going to be a lot more useful for him. It will calm him down a bit compared to Calamity Claudio. But yeah, I've still got Zinchenko in there. Um, I, I don't really like the defence at all. I feel like I've just kind of got him there just for the six-pointers. So I might as well pay for the cheapest guy possible. Have you got Zinchenko, Stones, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've got Zinchenko at the moment as well. I've got the KDB lights in defence. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, I'm not I'm not too sure about the, um, the Manchester City defence either. It's kind of a, the cheapest man. Um, you know, obviously there's other options like Kyle Walker, but they've also signed um, Cancelo today, who we didn't mention earlier. Um, so it looks like Walker's position might be under threat as well, potentially on that right-back slot. Looks like Zinchenko's position, a bit worried about him as well. Um, They've got other options there. He definitely seems to be ahead of um, Angelino and started today as well, but um, I'm more worried about the, the threat of Mendy as well. He's a, he's now a 25% chance of playing. Looks like he could be fit by the beginning of September. So it could be um, one of those transfers waiting to happen with Zinchenko if he loses his place. But yeah, at the moment, I feel like oh, I should cover the Manchester City defence and um, at 5.5 million, he's definitely the, um, the best way to do that or the cheapest at least. Coolness. I'm guessing we both still
0: got Luca Dean.
1: Yeah, we both got Luca Dean. We've probably talked about him to death on our last couple of pods, especially when we're talking about how um, we think he's much better than Seamus Coleman. Which definitely means that Seamus Coleman is going to get a fifteen-point return in game week one. So, bye, <laughs> Seamus <laughs> Coleman, listeners. But, yeah, um certainly <laughs> it's, it's it. certainly going to happen. And yeah, the Liverpool assets. Uh, we might actually have exactly the same defence, Tom, which is a little bit worrying, at least for the uh, the four main uh, players. Because I've got. Um, Alexander Arnold and Robertson's my Liverpool defence, and I've got a feeling you might as well. Yeah, we've got those exact same two.
0: The beauty of it is, we'll talk about the Charity Shield later on, um, but even though TA wasn't as best today, I still think owning him and Robbo is, is a good starting point. You can always go down to VVD and literally any other defender if you need to. Plus, they're basically a cash cow. So if I suddenly need, you know, a Harry Kane or something, then I can just sell one of them.
1: So your fifth man, you, you mentioned Kyle Walker-Peters, Tom, which, which is quite interesting. And you've, you've definitely got some sort of like rotation strategy there. My only fear with uh, Walker-Peters is that there might be um, some sort of like Serge Aurier threat. Um, Aurier's back in training now alongside Derek Dyer. And no one fourth got stretched off, which obviously means that sort of, Walker-Peters looks like he's going to be the man that starts for Spurs. I would be worried about the um, the more experienced Aurier um, taking that slot away from Walker-Peters or, or even Eric Dyer can... Um, Put in um, you can play in that right back slot, but yeah, I think it's mostly most likely either going to be Aurier or Kai Walker Peters that starts in that position. But I'll be a bit concerned about that. Uh, but for me, my my fifth man is uh, Ben Gibson, and he's only 4.0. He's been getting a little bit of a pre season action, Um I remember him uh, heartily from his days of playing at Middlesbrough, where I actually captained him in a, in a double game week, and he, he got me about 12 times 2 or something, which is pretty damn decent. You know, I love a defender called Ben and uh, Gibson uh, is in the team <laughs> at the moment, hoping that Tarko is the man that's signed by Leicester, which might mean that Gibson's a four nailed on defender, but we'll have to see
0: there. Yeah, that makes sense. I think KWP 5.0 for Aston Villa, I think that's okay. Um, I hope he's still around by game week 3 in Newcastle. But this isn't a zombie team. Like I can get rid of him after that, but I think it's it's an okay opening punt. Like if you're making a punt on like a striker or something like that and paying five point five or six or something like that for you know a Che Adams or a Wesley, like why not make a five point zero punt on a defender? Like it's the same thing except there's probably more value in that defender. KWP gets me three free assists on game week one. I'll be very happy with that. Right, uh, let's move on to the midfield then, and uh, I think it's fair to say that Salah and Sterling, we're not going to spend too much time on them because we both have them, don't we? And Jose Perez as well. Uh, your man. And you're Fred's subject and also uh, by consequence that the angry mobs can show up at your door once Ojo Perez uh, misses a penalty, gets sent off and is injured for three weeks after game week one.
1: Oh, yeah, he's he's definitely not going to start. Rogers is going to play Harvey Barnes and Demare Gray on the wing and we'll see Perez start from the bench because he's a new signing. And I've been talking about how I I don't get new signings in in game week one because they haven't bedded in properly. I've gone punted on Izzy Perez, haven't I? So, yeah, I've been a massive hypocrite there. But, uh, yeah, I did a big thread on um, why I think Perez is going to be a a good pick. And, uh, you know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is as well by backing this guy in my uh, game week. One team. I think he's um, looking like a really good value pick as well, having been reclassified from forward to midfield this season. And yeah, um, at Leicester, I certainly think he could flourish.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think there's been a lot of questioning about Perez, a few people saying they're not sold. But simply put, just think of him as a 6.5 million striker. Like, if he was still in the striker position on FPL, we'd probably all have him in by default, I think, wouldn't we? He basically is a 6.5 million striker who gets an extra point for uh, clean sheets and gets an extra point for scoring goals. So uh, it feels like it feels like a decent decent punt on game week one. But yeah, I think people are going to be coming for you like a stampede destroying an old man's house, Nick, if, if that does go wrong. I've literally just got him in just so I can blame you, basically. Obviously, that's a joke, listeners. That's a joke. Um, and finally, I've got Ryan Fraser as my 7.5. Um, I think that Ryan Fraser, after doing the value work, I just can't ignore him. I really can't. Like, Um, I actually have a double up with Wilson as well. But uh, I think that Ryan Fraser, just in his final year at Bournemouth as well, by the looks of it, um, has the stats behind him. And uh, it's well worth at 7.5 million, especially in the beginning. And then from there, I can move to the likes of I don't know, Anthony Martial or something like that. But yeah, those first two against be promoted to teams, I think that Bournemouth could really explode out the blocks, uh, beat Leon 3 0 in the final preseason friendly, whatever that means. Um, so I think the guys are all, all looking like they're raring to go. And I'm very, very happy to have Fraser there at 7.5. It feels right to me, I suppose. What about you?
1: So yeah, it's probably getting a little bit awkward because I've got um Ryan Fraser in, in my midfield at the moment as well, alongside, oh, for Luke, sake. Luke, oh, yeah, alongside Lucas Moura Alongside Lucas Moura because oh, okay. of, I've got five midfielders at the moment. As I said, the yeah, Fraser, as you said, from the value work, looks like a fantastic punt. And I think um, yeah, he could have another really good season at Bournemouth and yeah, um, like we said on the pod as well. Their fixtures are, are really good, so you can't you can't really ignore Bournemouth. Um they only play Manchester City um in the first um, sort of seven Game week, two of the promoted sides in the first two game weeks, but I think um, for me, um, Lucas Mora is the other midfielder. So I've actually um, been experimenting with two setups, to be honest. So you know, this is not a guaranteed team that I'm talking about here. It is subject to change. Don't don't bring the lynch mobs if um, I decide to to sort of change my team in advance in the next five days or so because I've got more in the team at the moment but I have also been experimenting with uh, and I changed it today I've been experimenting with sort of Kane KDB setup as well and that would be sort of downgrading um, Sterling to um, KDB and also um, have Barkley in that team as well so Kane would be sort of a premium forward Sterling would be um, KDB to help fund that uh, and Mora would be Barkley but I know Sterling missed a bit of a sister today but he did score Lucas Moura scored um in the pre-season match today as well for Spurs and I've gone back to this formation as well Nora, we talked about it again on other pods so I don't want to keep repeating myself but he's definitely going to start with in because obviously Son's suspended and I, I fancy him at sort of 7.5 million and I think he's, he's quite a good value pick and he, he could be um very prolific, and he he's sort of a much cheaper way of sort of covering Spurs compared to Harry Kane, who's going to cost you um, quite a lot of money at 11 million for forwards. You can get a 7.5 million midfielder that could potentially match Kane's output.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, the same argument that you just uh, used on me for KWP applies to Mora, doesn't it? So I think we're both doing the same thing, except I'm uh, taking the punt on the cheaper defender and you're taking the punt on, again, a player that you can move on. So yeah, you understand that. final guy that I've got is Dendonka. Alex Ball knows that, actually. And um, there's a lot of players in that kind of 5 to 6.5 million range that um, are being completely overlooked because of Dendonka being so good. And he asked us, is that having impacts on kind of formations? And I know you've got five in midfield, for example, but I think a lot of people who, if they can't afford that kind of final 6.5, 7.5 million midfielder, are going to look at Dendonka because the stats in the final 10 game weeks were so good that if he's kind of kept his place, then a 4.5 is a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it, having him as your first bencher? I know you haven't gone that way because you've got five in midfield, but surely people who are thinking about having the four. Like, he's the highest on 4.5 at the moment. Like, I think he makes absolute sense, doesn't he?
1: definitely be the, the pick of the bunch from the 4.5 millions because of a lot of players um, that were expecting to be 5.5 5 million really got sort of price hikes and I'm, I'm talking about like sort of, sort of McNeil and Harvey Barnes that really perhaps didn't deserve it. There's very little option in terms of that sort of price bracket so you have to go a little bit cheaper all the way down to um, 4.5 million and then Dogka fits very nicely in terms of a sort of a, a bench pick that can potentially come off the bench if one of your players doesn't play but so moving um, moving on to the uh, the four it's um, another sort of four point five million player that's um, caught our eye in the preseason. He's not necessarily going to start, but definitely one for the future and uh, one for our benches as well. And that's that's Mason Greenwood. He, he's in my team at the moment. I don't know, um, is he in yours as well? definitely is
0: sounds like he's going to be good value for effectively spending zero his base price is nothing because you've got to spend 4.5 million for a forward same as Dendonka so I think that uh, Greenwood if he's going to get one point every now and again coming off the bench who knows it could be his breakthrough year and uh, Lingard maybe watching him to see how he can make a pathway for himself to the first team but yeah all about um, Greenwood and with eight core players the same Nick I'm hoping that some of your strikers are different from mine here Um, obviously as I've mentioned I've got Lacadia Lacadia has started the majority of preseason on the wing actually for Bryson so he's poo Um, but for me he's going to play game week two against West Ham when Carl Walker-Peters has a Man City away I think that's an okay kind of 11th man um, but that's basically set up so I can have one man in. Uh, that's Callum Wilson. Wilson, for me, is a very exciting, explosive player. Um, it offers a bit more than Josh King does. We saw that in the Talisman Theory article, and we saw that in the stats too. What King does have is value, so 6.5 million. I think after the prices were adjusted, it was only 0.49 uh, points per million between Wilson and King. Uh, but I do think Wilson has that, just that little bit extra about him. He's got that kind of unselfishness plus also the ability to bang big time in front of gold. His big chances missed last season were second only to Obamiang's. He's in the right positions, and that's really reassuring. Same as Mo Salah. I really think that Wilson is worth that extra 1.5, and I'm hoping that people see that price difference between him and Josh King and think, yeah, I'm going for Josh King. Are you one of these people going for Josh King?
1: At the moment, for my two forwards, I've got Josh King, the cheaper Bournemouth man, the one that's on penalties. I I definitely think that he he can match Cannon Wilson. I'm not convinced that Wilson's, you know, the the alpha and King's debate. Obviously, Wilson is perhaps the, the better footballer. But I think that King can match um, Wilson's returns. And uh, yeah, saves me a little bit of money by going for King over Wilson. The other man I've got, um it's another 4.5 million uh, forward. Um So my bench is looking a bit weak, but I've got Connor Wickham in there at the moment. And a little bit of concern, uh, because Wickham's actually been heavily linked at the moment with the likes of Bristol City and Stoke. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he actually stays at the club come deadline day. Otherwise, I'm going to have to start um, really sort of pushing the boat out um, and looking <laughs> at other options. Maybe Niketia um, from Arsenal, Sanders Silva. Yeah, you've got the Daniel
0: Sturridge regen at Bournemouth. Uh, Sam Surridge as well, to, Surridge, to, yeah. to bear <laughs> in mind. Uh, yeah, no. I, OK, very interesting. and. Um, yeah I'm glad that we finally got some differentiation because it sounds like talking too much has led to the fact that eight of our starting 11 is exactly the same <laughs> but nonetheless what it's worth remembering is that in the engaged community as it were obviously we're shot swapping ideas a lot and as covered by all the psychology and we're likely to perform like a bit of a herd mentality a hive mind about all of these things it's not necessarily a bad thing and just remember the fact that our teams are very very different to your average Joe who hasn't been part of it like we've certainly seen friends of ours haven't we Nick around the office like people have very very different teams to ours you know with the old traditional 3-4-3 or something like that so yeah it's a bit more niche to be our way like don't think just because you see it everywhere on twitter that this is the setup that everyone's going for because nick that's definitely the case is it
1: no and uh, yeah knowing our luck and our track record since we started to pod, this probably gonna go very badly for us so we certainly certainly wouldn't recommend to, to copy our teams anyway we're uh, we're gonna take a break now anyway and uh, have the questions in the next section
0: Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
1: So we're back and it's time to catch up in terms of what we've been up to in, in the last week. We've actually been very busy, haven't we, Tom? Um, lots, lots of little things happening in terms of the pre-season activity. Um, we're both um, appearing weekly now on Love Sport Radio, uh, one at a time. and That's alongside uh, Johnny Burrows and Olympic sprinter you and Thomas, which is uh, that's at around 6pm on a Friday. If you listen to Love Sport Radio, check it out. And I was also on the, uh, the Football Index Guide podcast with our good friend Pet FI Guide on Twitter, which was good fun uh, talking about Sort of football index and FPL, which is you know sort of a second hobby of mine. Yeah, I was going to do a pet detective reference
0: there, but I just couldn't find a way to pick, fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> pet the FI F- detective. But yeah, definitely worth checking out, guys, if you're interested in the Football Index, although I'm guessing you listen to his podcast anyway. Um, also, I was interviewed by a journalist from the Financial Times last week, and there should be an article out on Wednesday about FPL and in investing behaviour. I know very little about FPL, but I know a lot about investing behaviour, so uh, maybe I uh, offered something of substance without Not like too much of a nerd. Uh, I didn't, didn't use any drug reference or anything like that, so hopefully all okay. Also, I was involved in an FPL shoot uh, the other day um, in the evening with, with Lee and Sam from FPL family and Holly as well from FPL community. Come out, I think, Wednesday and Thursday next week and hopefully not be too cringe worthy And uh, finally, Nick, you're working on Hobart at the moment, aren't you, about uh, new signings, uh, new men in FPL?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's sort of a summary of our prospecting the prospect series where we just do like a sort of a final analysis of all the key signings over the course of the summer and how we think we're there going to be doing in FPL. And yeah, when that's. Uh, put live that will be on fancy football hub so check it out so yeah over the course of the season we're going to be doing our regular features some some new some old market forces will be back again where we'll sort of be looking at what's happening in the market in terms of the movers and shakers and we try and assess the reasons why typically i think it's sort of like massive rising likes of higazzi as we said uh, in game week one and the. Uh, Granite Shaco and and sometimes it can be a bit weird um, what's going on in game week one, but it's always quite interesting to, you know, do the analysis and, yeah, decide whether it's bad or good. But, uh, yeah, we'll also be doing the over-30s team because me and Tom have now turned 30, we're sort of reaching our prime. Um, we're going to be looking at those players in their prime and, uh, you know, the likes of Aguero and um, Aubameyang. There's a few um, over 30s dotted about in the Premier League still returning points. And we're, we're going to see if a, a team of over 30s can do well in FPL, we'll have to see. Yeah, certainly. We've got the
0: likes of gilfie Sigerson as well, turning 30 in September. And as soon as he turns 30, he's straight into the club. So there you go. Um, yeah, That should be interesting. That replaces the All Englands, of course, after last year's kind of uh, misadventure there, I think, uh, with those guys. Uh, uh, and also, uh, we'll be doing the Nick Pick, accompanied uh, this year by the Tom Pick. Uh, so the Nick Pick's obviously to pick a boring kind of character. He's going to just grind out your six or seven points every week. You know, the likes of Carl Walker, uh, uh, the likes of Aspilicuator, uh, but... the likes of Aspil- the equator the likes of all those sorts of players and we'll pair that with a tom pick which will be a bit of a hail mary you know the sort of posts you see on twitter differential this guy's owned by 1.4 percent and has had five shots on goal in the last two game weeks and so i'll be picking out one and we'll kind of see how we do i suppose in that regard
1: should we do one now
0: uh yeah yeah let's do one now then okay who are you going
1: for So this is completely off the cuff, but I'm going to go for Toby Alderweireld for a a nice starting clean sheet against Aston Villa. Same price as you're paying for Jürgen Cadia Tom, who's who's definitely going to do nothing, isn't he, against uh, Watford?
0: Yeah, he'll be on the bench anyway, so I'm not too bothered about that. Um, but one man who uh, if he was in my team, uh, wouldn't be on the bench is uh, Pascal Gross. He's my Tom Pit this week and I think that he's of great interest. Um, I don't really want him at the moment because I probably want Jose Perez over him. But Pascal Gross, his first season in the Premier League, 164.7 goals and 8 assists and he was involved in 45% of Brighton's goals. So under Graham Potter, a very, very attacking manager. Um, obviously it's, it's Imperio that that is instituted as quickly as possible but i wouldn't be surprised to see after a really torrid season last year but still the highest chances created amongst the seagulls and pims do well and Watford for the way and Watford's conceded i think it was the third or fourth most big chances last year and that defense only been improved by dawson joining and so i, I can really see a few goals in that if, if brighton's 3-4-3 works out so yeah pascal gross is my week one impromptu tom pick I wish I'd have more time to think about that, but actually I quite like that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, finally as well, um, during the features, uh, we've obviously just done one out of nowhere, is uh, the zombies. And and we'll talk about them for the first kind of few weeks until it obviously uh, becomes less relevant. But that launches next week and Nick will give the lead code uh, later on. All right, uh, let's get on to the questions then. Thanks very much for your questions this week, guys. We're quite a lot, so we're going to have to take it down um, to just a few kind of key ones. Uh, the first one is a personal one because we need to talk about this. We need to talk about pre-season. We need to talk about the charity shield, which happened today at the time of recording. Uh, so Pumpkinhead and FPR physio uh, Tom, who appeared on the L pod, asked how much do we value pre-season? And linked to this, the charity shield, do we care about what we saw today? So let's start at the Charity Shield then, Nick. And I guess looking at the rules, six subs, City were playing their second choice goalkeeper in Calamity, Claudio. Didn't have Jesus or Kun up front. They were on the bench. So they had a Raz up top. One away Sane you got injured in the side. That tells you all you need to know really about the nature of the Charity Shield. I think it is really a a bit of a glorified, uh, glorified friendly. We know it's called the Community Shield, by the way. Um, City really can edge on being a bit boring to watch, I suppose, sometimes. They're imperious. But, you know, City I guess nothing really changed as far as my perceptions toward them go like Raz is the man uh, KDB looks good as always but we need a bit of end product to go with that sparkle Bilva is actually the same and defence is just basically a six point ceiling isn't it like you know the Ukrainian Roberto Carlos versus Calamity John Stones like I don't know you don't want to spend more than you have to on those guys even though they're going to get you a clean sheet because the opposition will never have the ball I saw that defence and just thought oh, I'm just not too sure about them but it just feels logical to cover them
1: yeah, yeah, I've been inclined to to agree with you. I think I felt like before the game I wasn't going to learn anything new about any of these players, and it wasn't going to impact any of my decisions. And it certainly was the case that nothing happened. That that kind of you know influenced me in any way. The players performed as expected. The only thing that, as I said, I have been experimenting with some of my formations, and I did go back to Sterling after contemplating a KDB Kane team. I'm now back on Sterling Mora yeah okay
0: so in terms of Liverpool then um, I think that that was an interesting one too uh, Salah obviously didn't score um, obviously very frustrating to watch or listen to um, but the stats will tell a different tale which is basically what we need took a lot of shots in that game and I'm, I'm glad um, to see lots of doubts about TAA emerging after that the essential point for me is that Liverpool are playing Man City next week they're playing Norwich are they comparators can you make judgments on a game against Man City which is basically a glorified friendly Liverpool are on the counter in that game Liverpool will be on the attack against Norwich better Players they played today versus lesser players against Norwich. I'm not sure I'd make too many changes to Liverpool based on this. Like, I just don't think it's worth it. Like, I'm still sticking with Tier and Robert, and it sounds like you are as well.
1: Exactly. So yeah, as you said, it's completely different opponents, completely yeah, different set of scenarios. It's not quite a glorified friendly. There is there's a trophy, a trophy inverted commas at the end of it. But yeah, like I think it's, top. it's uh, yeah like the Audi Cup, which is uh, yeah fantastic trophy to win (laughs) I still think that obviously it's all going to be about the Norwich game next week and that's when we will truly be able to assess the Liverpool players potential and uh, if they can repeat their heroics of last year so, yeah, I mean, moving on to pre-season again, you you, you can't garner too much. I see a lot of analysis on Twitter. I've seen it so many times, actually, in the last few weeks. People saying Barkley started, he's definitely going to start for Chelsea. Oh, Mason Mount started. Oh, he's definitely going to start for Chelsea. Abraham started, he's definitely going to start. They're not all definitely going to start just because they started the pre-season matches. You can't read too much always into who's starting and who's not starting. You know, some people are still rec- coming back from international duty, like the likes sort of, you know, Mane um, at Liverpool. It's, it, um, you know, they're rotating the teams like mad for these games. And uh, sometimes you can read into a little bit into a form. It's always good to see some of the players doing well who you've got in your teams. Like, you know, as I mentioned, Lucas Mora has been scoring a few goals in the preseason, which which is positive for me because I have been backing him. If I was hearing reports that he was playing terribly or you know looked out of shape, then I would be certainly concerned about owning him. So, you know, it is definitely useful to follow this information, but you have to take it to a certain extent with a pinch of salt. Sometimes look at the opponents as well, because if it's a if it's a six-one mauling and Sterling gets a hat trick, but then you actually say, okay, they just played them some really obscure team from, from Japan it, it doesn't necessarily mean all that much you know the likes of Niketia for instance he's, um, he's Arsenal's informed player apparently with three goals and two assists so maybe I'll get him in with my Con- Connor Wickham replacement I don't know but it certainly doesn't mean he's going to play I'm, you know, I'm very aware of the fact that Aubameyang Lacazette and Pepe are going to be ahead of him in terms of the Arsenal attack so he might be okay on the bench but yeah I don't think you can necessarily read too, too much into the form because it is pretty pre season, but it is worth keeping an eye in particular on the players that you're planning on owning.
0: Yeah, definitely. I hate preseason until it confirms a bias that I've got about a player that I've signed. That's basically how I think about it. Like I, I really I really just don't know. Like I think that for every team that absolutely smashes it in pre-season and doesn't do anything when the season starts, there's a West Brom who used to do terribly in pre-season, you know, like lose to the likes of Bristol Rovers and Trammere and things like that, then come out in game week one and then put together a solid performance, win by the one goal. And it's a bonanza for owners. So I just don't think that it's, it's that useful. I think it's useful for seeing where players are going to play, how managers are thinking of setting up, you know, with Brendan Rodgers, like how he's been setting up his team in pre-season has been interesting to follow and kind of pushes the whole Perez idea if he's playing with that diamond. I mean, those sorts of things are interesting. But as you said, you know, taking it with a pinch of salt and thinking about the players who aren't there is also very, very useful. So last year, for example, Raheem Sterling, we all fought after England. He'd have a big break and wouldn't play against Arsenal, but he didn't score. Um, so I think it, it's very, very hard to tell. And I think the press conferences perhaps are going to be more interesting than the preseason as a whole. I think the preseason as a whole is, yeah, we've, we've got the fitness, we've got the minutes under our belt, but the clubs know and no one, and everybody else knows it. it doesn't really mean anything. So I think that it's um, one of those things that, unless you're celebrating winning the Audi Cup, that most people should take what the prez's say and kind of the fitness information from the likes of Ben Dinery after that.
1: Let's move on to the uh, the next questions. Next question's from our mate Edu, who we met at the Christmas Dew at FPL Rhinos, and he's asked us about early wild cards and he said with our benches so woeful and no info on a host of players like um, Aguero, and the new signings, um, the Chelsea assets and Bryson assets, etc. Is an early wild card inevitable, you know? I try and hold off on the early world cards. I know you said you you wild carded in game week three um the previous season after sort of the Aguero um, calamity. For me, I think um, an early world card always does tend to happen quite you know perhaps um, sort of in the first international break or so. I'm going to try and hold off as um, long as possible. I think game week three definitely is too early for me. Um, You know, I've set my team up that I shouldn't have to wildcard that early. You know, I trust in the players that I picked to perform for me over, you know, at least a five game week period based on fixtures. So I don't really want to early wildcards and you do have transfers available and I'd rather take a minus four hit in game week three if I can just to make three changes, which should be enough rather than early wildcard but yeah my aim at least is, is to try and hold off unless I have an absolute disaster of the first couple of game weeks and have to make wholesale changes yeah exactly I think um, FPL Saints are something like this as well like in
0: terms of how far in advance we're kind of setting up and how important the bench is like my bench at the moment I do actually have a 5.5 million striker on it so I guess I've tried to make sure that I've got two bench players remember at the end of last season we were all saying oh yeah no we need to have a good bench for the start of the season and now a lot of people have promptly forgotten about it and <laughs> it's a woeful bench amazing really how quickly it turns around isn't it and um, but no, in reality game week one Nick always says it's a crap shoot like, I think it's like catching a bullet in between your teeth having a good game week one. The key is not to get too dispirited game weeks one, two and three because it's all recoverable but you do need to react to the, what you're seeing in front of you as the, as the kind of season shakes out. So, so yeah, Normally we leave it don't we, until game week three to make two FT's. I, I don't think it is inevitable I think you can manage your way out of it but I can see why you'd be concerned um, I'd just be maybe countering that by saying well make sure your team is set up to have players at the price points so you can buy those players as they come onto the radar so having a Fraser so you can purchase a Martial or purchase a Pulisic is, is a useful idea in game week one All right next question is Rohan Pai uh, do we leave alone those Wolves um, so he said that you know the Europa League has definitely uh, caused him to think again about winning Jimenez and uh, Jota as well has been on many a radar I think he was in my very very first team but I, I've stepped back with Patroni also joining like is the Europa League something you're worried about in terms of Wolves
1: I think you have to be concerned about the Europa League. We've seen many teams suffer in the Premier League uh, from the early start in in the Europa League and having to balance those those Thursday night fixtures um, along with the league fixtures at the weekend, playing opponents that have had a whole week to prepare, whilst Wolves might have had to travel off to Eastern Europe and, you know, then play on the Sunday. And, uh, yeah, they're not always... um, you know in best form because of that and we've seen many teams suffer before pretty much every team that's, that's gone into Europe that's not been in that top six that's really struggled the next season is pretty much every year you know like Burnley last year obviously it's a classic case but also we saw Southampton and Everton West Ham Newcastle all have these sort of Europa League campaigns and have really poor seasons off the back of it so I think it's a concern but it's not the only concern actually for me in terms of why I don't have any Wolves players it's one factor perhaps but and there are two other factors for me so I mean last season I started started with two rules players. Obviously they are much hyped. And I think they're gonna have a good campaign to be honest this year as well. But I had um Patricio and Yotta at the beginning of last season and um promptly also got in Matt Doherty. But for me I think um one reason I don't have a Wolves player at the moment is the fixtures. I think their fixtures are absolutely terrible. For the start of the season, I mean, they're playing Leicester. It's got a tough opening game. Manchester United. Burnley at home, quite a nice one. Dennis Everton away and then Chelsea at home. That's just a really tough opening five, to be honest. So um, I'm a bit worried about them because of those five fixtures. And also the prices. And we've talked about the, the Wolves prices. They've, they've gone up quite a bit, especially in defence. Like Doherty being 6 million, Johnny 5.5, even like to Willie Bolly and Connor Cody, the shotless man being 5.0 And um, you know, the only one perhaps I'd be interested in is Hibenez, seven point five. He's got foot injury apparently as well. And uh, you know, as you said, Coutrone might um rotate with him as well. So a little bit of concern there
0: yeah certainly as I mentioned uh, Burnley just a little bit of extra tiredness I think in contrast to a friendly game where you're not really giving it 100% these guys really were giving 100% and uh, uh, really uh, saw the effects they didn't really turn it around until the second half of the season did they I mean Wolves do do well in bad fixtures we saw that last year uh, but I think you're right Nick like price and the Europa League means that a watch and wait is absolutely okay uh, despite the fact that the Jimmy ownership is actually very high and I do like Jota but I'm probably going to just, uh, j- just watch and wait with those guys and finally Finally, um no salah and um, FPL Flapjack R SR4s on going without Mo Salah. Uh, Nick, quickly, what is your view?
1: So I think it's very risky. We've seen actually Mane, he seems to be the game week one player that always performs for Liverpool, much um, my own team's punishments. But if you're not going to go with Salah, then you have to go with at least Mane. And if if you're not going to go with Mane because it's possible that he's not going to start, he's not going to be ready in time, then I think you have to be very, very concerned. And it's going to be a case of hiding behind that sofa on that Friday night. But, you know, it might pay off. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm loving the fact that
0: 19.4% of managers allegedly currently have Mane in their teams. Like, I, I'm not too sure he's going to start on game week one because of it. you Yeah, know, he's played a very, very long season last season. We don't. Know, I think he's just come back to training or something like that. So, like, we just don't know whether when he's going to be fit and available. So, I think the 90% of the managers aren't going to be very happy on game week one by the fact that their, their premier man doesn't start. I just can't, I can't see past going with Salah against Norwich. Like, uh, I think any justification based on today's result is is, is probably folly. Um, so, yeah, um, we're, we're both going with Salah, probably out of fear. Um, I can see why, you know, a triple up in Liverpool defence may make sense or something like that. But I, I just don't know why you do it to yourself, really. It just feels like last season all over again with Salah, but it just feels like too, uh, too risky not to earn him for me right so that's a lot for this week uh, thanks so much for listening just to say we are who got the assist you can find us on twitter at wgca underscore fpl and um, you can find us online at who got assist.com uh, we posted plenty of content throughout the summer um, you can catch up on all of that there unfortunately there's no talisman 2 uh, this year due to time constraints but you know there you go we've reached the very end of what we can do in, the, in our free time but uh, hopefully you appreciate the, the pre-season stuff that we've done uh, thank you for all the support with that like us on facebook and listen and subscribe to us on spotify soundcloud or whatever you you use to get your podcasts
1: yep and if you want to join our leagues um the league for our main league is eikx03 and if you want to join our zombie league which are no trips no transfers set and forgets teams league and um, the code is ejos45 and there's um, a theme to every pod last week it was in between us um well done to all the guys that sent us the friend uh, gifts on Twitter and uh, and got the uh, and got the clues that we uh, put in in the pod. And uh yeah, we'll be back next week with game week one, believe it or not, Tom.
0: Yeah, we finally got the net. Finally got there. I really hope you've enjoyed all the preseason stuff that we've done. The very best of luck for game week one. in the meantime, we hope to assist you and we'll speak to you after the very first fixture of FPL twenty nineteen-2020. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>